This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Nancy Parsons on the line. Hey, Nancy, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am great. You do some amazing work, and you're the president of CDR Assessment Group, and we obviously want to talk about that, but you've written some books, and there's one that you wrote that it's titled, Women Are Creating the Glass Ceiling, and when I saw that title, my head did what my dog likes to do, and just kind of tilt the head a little bit going, huh? (laughs) That's not what I've heard in the past, so uh, tell us a little bit about your story, and then you know, we'll dive right into that book. Yeah, uh, my story, uh, I had a background originally in HR and organizational development, but in 1998, uh, founded a CDR assessment group with my business partner, who's an IO psychologist, and we developed assessments. Back then, our goal was to really revolutionize leadership. So the studies back then were showing that 50 to 75% of leaders were ineffective. So that was our quest. We were going to turn that around because with our assessments, you could actually get a reading on the true talent or, um, you know, a deep sense of self-awareness if you're using it for coaching. Uh, But it's an objective measure to really help you right fit talent and develop talent in the right ways. So, um, so that was our quest. And we've, um, we're more of a boutique organization. We've had global clients along the way, and we are in every sector. And so we have a lot of data that we've accumulated over the years. And um, in terms of my book, what happened was we were doing some research comparing our assessment data, which is personality-based character assessment risks, and then motivational assessments, which we call our drivers and rewards. We were comparing that to uh, 360 data, performance data. And uh, what we found, it wasn't what we were looking for, but what we stumbled upon was that there, there weren't any differences, first of all, between the strengths between men and women leaders when we looked at the gender studies, but there were significant differences in the risk factors between men and women leaders. And that gave us the aha moment when we looked at it that those differences were holding women back. So, um, so that's kind of the premise, just to give you a little background of you know, how this all came about. Uh, Our primary practice has been leadership and executive development. We also, because our assessments can be used for a lot of applications, we also help our clients with selection screening, succession planning, uh, custom training, team development, things of that nature. But our, our forte has been executive coaching and leadership coaching with the assessment tools. And I'm sure you've seen, you know, in the last, I'd say in the last decade, but probably goes back longer than that, but especially in the last decade, the challenges that leadership is facing keeps getting more and more complex and uh, leaders are being asked to do a lot of things. And, and many times, like you alluded to at the beginning, they're just not skilled to take them on. They don't have the understanding, the training, a variety of different things that creates a lot of issues for organizations and that trickles down throughout the ranks and can create high stress, burnout, turnover, you name it, uh, faulty products, you know, Absolutely. services and things like that, that aren't up to par because the leadership is more or less drowning at you know what they're trying to do. 
Exactly. And you know, here's the sad thing. So in this 20 years though, the needle hasn't moved. So the studies still show that 50 to 75% of leaders are ineffective in their roles. So that's a real problem. But, but there, the reason is, is because we haven't changed how we select, promote, and develop leaders. We're doing the same thing that we've been doing since the beginning of history. It's who looks the part, talks the part, goes to the right schools or hangs with the right people, you know, is in the right circles. But it's not working for us. You know, it's not working because we're not really uh, digging deeper to understand a person's true talent and what they're really good at and then what they're not so good at. And unfortunately, what we find in organizations is a lot of leaders are just in the wrong jobs. So if you're in a job that runs against your grain or your innate characteristics, you're not going to perform as well. But if you're in one that you fit quite well, then you can excel. And then there's other th issues, of course, too, in terms of ethics and values and, you know, uh, expectations of leaders and, you know, that, that goes hand in hand, too. But, but you're right in terms of it's not getting better. It's kind of getting worse because leadership is becoming more, more uh, complex, right, with, with everything that's being thrown at them. You know, people get promoted and they just because, like you said, they look the part and they're not qualified to lead and many organizations do not provide the leaders any opportunity to actually learn how to be a better leader. It's all self-driven. So if you're parked out at Barnes and Noble and you're buying up leadership books to learn how to be a better leader, good on you because at least you're, you're trying to give yourself a fighting chance to be able to figure out how to navigate things because most organizations, you know, their professional development budgets are, nil uh, right and, exactly and, and or they'll bring in you know they'll bring in consultants which you know like, i'm one so i i i i, I see this sometimes <laughs> tongue in cheek but you know they they said okay we're going to bring you in for a half day session okay you want me to change the world in half a day hmm, okay oh, exactly. well that that's going to be 500 million dollars uh, <laughs> because i'm going to exactly. need a lot of i'm going to need a lot of reinforcement and uh, backup to be able to try to navigate that okay let's jump into your books uh, and you know the glass ceiling discussion and we and we alluded to that uh, a little bit earlier but uh, the information that you found and all the research you did it obviously gave you enough material to say okay let's write about this and flush this out a little bit more so what was that process like and you know what what were some aha moments and I know you alluded to those as well but some aha moments that really drove you to say, okay, we need to get this out in a book. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I want to clarify up front too, the title is women are creating the glass ceiling and have the power to end it. So, so I wanted to make sure that part is in there too, as far as it. So it's within women to actually make the changes that are needed for the most part. But, but what was, what's really exciting. So we studied North American leaders, men and women leaders, and then our, our, uh, the next part of our study was looking at executive women, those who had made it and CEO women. In this, and then we also added in this book um, the leaders from Western Europe. So we also studied Western European leaders at the leader level and executive levels. So, so there's a lot of research. That, and what's, what was really interesting is what we found in Europe corresponds, correlates directly to what we found uh, in the United States in, in terms of the women and what's holding them back. So, and, and here's the other thing, back to our little bit of, to our earlier discussion. So what we found was the risk factors, these are inherent risks, uh, meaning 
think about it this way, under stress and adversity or when somebody's pushing your buttons or when there's conflicts, we often resort to what we call our risk behaviors. And often people aren't even aware of it. We measure 11 of them, okay? And um, some of them are kind of aggressive, moving against. Some of them are moving away, avoiding conflict or, or uh, moving away, isolating yourself. And some can be what we call moving towards or seeking affection, okay? But there's a total of 11. And what we found, uh, bottom line, was that the women in the leadership group had what we call high worriers. They were high worriers. So under stress, adversity, you know, pressures, all that sort of thing they tend to overanalyze and go inside their heads. They pull back and it's, um, it's a construct built on fear of failure or fear of making a mistake. So they start second guessing themselves, overanalyzing, and they don't wanna speak up often unless they know they're 100% uh, correct. So they end up going silent. Meanwhile, the men in the study were upstagers, egotists, and rule breakers. So under stress and adversity, they're popping up, being very visible, loud, noisy, over, you know, boasting, you know, being uh, overstating what they can do, et cetera. So what happens is when women pull away and men are, you know, in the limelight, the men are getting the promotions. That does not mean, though, that they are stronger in terms of their strengths. It just means that they're, they're, uh, they're in, like you say, visible. Uh, so they seem leader-like because they're speaking up and they're pushy and they're aggressive and so forth. But that doesn't equate to leadership effectiveness. It's really back to their character traits, their strengths. So many women that are really high caliber leaders and have a lot of potential get overlooked because in those, the heat of the moment, they often go silent. So they lose visibility. Okay. It, when, when things are tough and I, and when I work with clients, I say, and how often do you think there's stress in an organization? It's pretty frequent, <laughs> you know, it's pretty constant. Oh, as you say, with some organizations, um, there isn't a moment without stress, unfortunately, but there's many of them, there's a lot there. And so do you think, and again, with your, with your research on this, is there common traits of uh, just basically individuals being kind of afraid of confrontation? Yeah. And, and yeah. is that driven from you know, their childhood per se, or just, you know, some maybe negative experiences they had in the past or a combination thereof? Probably a combination, but, but largely our personalities are developed from the time we're infants on up. So by the time you're in your teens, you know, those coping, we call them ineffective coping strategies on the risk side, they're already ingrained behaviors, reactions to certain stimuli. Um, so yeah, so it, it starts early in our lives. And, and think about it this way. De depending on the family environment, um, you know, and the situation, some children will, if there's say friction and fighting, some, some children will hide and, and move away. Um, I was raised in the Philadelphia area and I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Uh, so, so I, our family debated and argued all the time. So we didn't move away. We, we went into more of an aggressive position <laughs> when things were, when there was disagreement. And then yet others might seek affection and trying to be perfectionists and pleasers and overly helpful. So you have, you're right, some people isolate and avoid, and then you have the aggressive types, and then you have the affection seekers. Unfortunately, the vast majority of women tend to have that avoidance through worrying. That means, again, getting too anxious, keyed up, overthinking things, overanalyzing, and, and being cautious decision makers, slow decision makers. So they're kind of 
they're not aggressive and, and moving fast enough, especially under stress. So the men are getting that visibility. Now, there is good news. The good news is when people are self-aware of their risks, and especially women, they can learn ways to manage those and develop those so that they don't interfere with their, to prevent them from interfering with their success. Um, but one other thing I wanted to mention, the other part of our research that was really interesting, just very enlightening, was then we looked at the executive women and, and um, CEO women, two groups of women, uh, to see what their, you know, what their profiles looked like. And it turns out that their risks were more similar to the men's. So the women who naturally are more aggressive, who uh, can stand up and argue during adversity and the rest of it and push back, make it, or it's easier for them to make it to the top. So they're the ones, but the problem is for women is that's not the majority of women. The majority of women tend to be warriors, even in leadership posts. So we need to find a way to, number one, help them be self-aware to develop, and number two, help organizations use scientific measures like ours so that they can identify talent without having these blinders on or biases that kick women out and, and automatically promote men who shouldn't be promoted in some cases. Yeah, that's great work. And I think, you know, I wrote down just on my notes, you know, the resume does not make you who you are. Um, it's skills and techniques that you've picked up along the way, but as an individual, um, if you are empathetic, passionate, driven, um, able to accomplish and make difficult decisions, whether they end up being right or wrong, making a decision um, is society still views that as, okay, you're, you're moving things forward. Um, and, you know, misstepping sometimes, you know, depending on you know, how big the misstep is can yeah, cost right, right. you. But if you're worried about how something's going to play out, then, yeah, that could definitely limit you. And I love the fact that you're really pushing for organizations to, you know, look deeper into the, the human side of things to see if this person from a, you know, their background, their skill set when it comes to their personality and, and, and the gifts that they have makes it right for this role because you could have, like you said, two identical people with similar backgrounds and like, okay, who, who would likely thrive in, in this environment and um, who wouldn't? And, um, you know, I, I want to, you know, segue just real quick on something. Um, I'm, I'm having difficulty with a Philly fan being argumentative. I, that seems <laughs> like a, a foreign concept to me. I'm a Philly, Philly fan. I don't, I, I look, tend to look at it more. I grew up in Detroit. So, oh, okay. so don't, don't, don't hate me for 1997 with the <laughs> flyers. Don't, oh, please, no. please don't hate me for that. Um, but Hey, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that the Eagles uh, cashed one in. You know, Finally, Super I wasn't sure they were ever going to do it. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was worried myself, but I was, I was quite pleased. And yes, I have friends that uh, are, fans of, oh, of that new england based team so i you know i'm like look oh. you, you guys want enough okay you know, yeah, exactly exactly quit, quit eating the entire buffet please share it with <laughs> some others if you could uh, but no i think there's it's funny in, in certain pockets of of the u.s you know there's there's a mentality type of thing and in philadelphia you know it's just you know okay we're you know there's a reason why there's a Rocky statue it, 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 that emulates of, okay, we're, we're going to 
get through this. We're going to come out of this, but we're going to let you know what we think. And a lot of people, a lot of people outside of their thinking, it's, you know, you're arrogant or you're rude. It's like, no, you're being, from my observation, you're being truthful on how you see things. And, right. and when you do that, um, it shows in my, again, this is my bias, opinion driven leadership type qualities. And so for me, it's like, you know, if I'm without looking at any statistics or something like this, if, you know, if I'm looking, you know, for a leadership type of person and I see where they're from, if I see somebody's coming from Philly, I'm like, okay, they're going to be driven. They're going to be, they're going to be direct. They're going to be opinionated. They're going to be passionate about it but they're going to get the thing done. And so it's going to, it's going to rise up. Now, again, that's a personal bias. I don't want to call yeah. it a bias, but it's a bias of mine. And because, you know, you know, same thing with, you know, people from New York or Jersey or Boston, you know, th- those areas, they're all in different ways. And sometimes, you know, the Midwest tends to be a little bit more laid back. The South has its things out West, you know, other I'm not going to get into stereotypes too much, but you know, there's there for different roles, there's a different type of need. So, Right, it's, it's right. Great that you saw that. So I'll get off my Philly soapbox, but, um, <laughs> but no, it's it. it I, I love that work because again, I think it it flushes things out. So if if you're talking today with somebody that um, is in this situation where they're they're getting passed over for some roles and they know that they've got the skill set, what are some things that they can look at? You know, within as an individual. Okay, what are some things that I should focus on to see? how to, you know, take that power that you have and, and end that glass ceiling once and for all. Yeah, I mean, so, so it does really take, I, I think, to help people be self-aware. They need to take, like I say, a validated scientific assessment that gets into these personality character strengths, the risks for derailment, as well as their motivation. Obviously, we have one. There's only one or two other companies that have something like this, so it's not but it is available. So I think getting really self-aware. Now, although I've had a lot of women read my book who have not taken the assessments and it does help them to identify what their risks are. So even if you can't go and get this, the coach or the assessment, you can at least try to be very clear and very honest with yourself as to you know what really are your strengths, inventorying your strengths, but then very important, what's holding you back? How do you react when, you know, when your boss pushes your button or demands something and you, what do you do? Do you articulate back right away? Are you assertive or do you get quiet and, and then start to, and then start to work on a plan to develop. And we all have risks. Here's the good news. As human beings, we all have risks. So there aren't, there's, there's none of us walking around without risks. So it's part of uh, normal human behavior, normal personality. So I think the key to changing this is number one, on the individual level, self-awareness and a deep level of self-awareness and then developing according to yourself, not according to like one of the things that happens in these a lot of the leadership development programs for women, they're kind of just teaching the same things they do for men, maybe except for some of the communications and outlets, but they don't really look deep enough inside the person. What we do, we do what we call authentic leadership where we really custom design our programs based on the individuals going through. So there's no pre-described content. We have to wait until we get everyone's data to see what the content will be because it, it's driven by the people in it. And one other thing, I just want to give you an example of how, how sometimes um, today, one of the things we talked about earlier, how we do leadership wrong. 
a couple of years back, uh, I, I was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal uh, by Jared Sandberg. I had contacted him because he wrote an article about backstabbing in the workplace. So I, I responded and said, we measure that more. So he wanted to take our assessments and did and had coaching feedback with me. And then he had feedback. He took assessments with two other companies and had and received feedback, coaching feedback with them as well. He wrote an article about what had happened, you know, in his experience and research in this. And what he said was the other two companies, and I won't mention their name, but one's a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, they both told him he had leadership capability and potential. And I basically told him he had none, don't think about a leadership job. And he said, and I think she's right because my dog won't even listen to me. So you have, a, <laughs> yeah, seriously, I, I can send you the article. It's, re, it's really, uh, and it's, it's some years ago, but the point being is in society and in academia and consultants, often tell people that anyone can lead. All we need to do is give you an MBA or send you to special training and you can teach anyone to lead. And that's just not true. That's not true at all. Some people are well suited to lead and then they have their niches and what they're good in leading. And not everyone, for example, can be an operations leader and not everyone can be strategic as a leader. So, so until you really know yourself and then the same goes for risks, right? When you take it to the next level, then what can hold you back and what's getting in your way? So I just, I just wanted to throw that out there to say, without using scientific measures on how we select, deploy, and develop leaders and our high-level professionals, key professionals and technology people, um, we're going to be missing the mark because we'll continue to do what we've been doing and it's just not working. Completely agree with that and you know, I'll even extend it to what I'm seeing, you know, especially with the advent of online and being able to have online businesses and whatnot, there's a lot of people that are venturing out to be entrepreneurs and because they don't like their jobs, you know, they want to quit the nine to five and trade it in for the nine to nine as I like to joke. Yeah, um, exactly. yeah it's like nine to nine, seven days a week, you know, <laughs> one o'clock, you're like, oh, I got to work on that. Yeah. I know, you can't sleep. Yeah. It's like, oh, I got to write that down. <laughs> exactly. It's like, write that down. Yeah. So yeah, you can't sleep. So you're too doggone tired. If the business does take off, you're too tired to enjoy it. But it's another conversation for another day. But I, I find that there are a lot of people that go out to be entrepreneurs and that's just not in their DNA. They're, they just, they're not entrepreneurial at all and they're struggling with it and it's making things even worse. So it's a case of, you know, figuring out, and this is for everybody, you know, and I agree with you, not everybody can be a, a leader as we define a leader, but everyone should be the leader of their life and figure out what are you really good at? What are you really passionate about? Constantly, check in with yourself, do some self-awareness work to figure out what makes you tick and what you enjoy and what you're good at and harmonize those things as best Absolutely. you can and, and find those places that, you know, need people like you. And when you do that, it's, it's, it's an amazing experience when you, when you get into those things. And I, I love it when I see people that are operating in their, their sweet spot and they're doing well at their organization. Their organization loves them and, and everything is just you know, humming along because that's, I, I really wish that that was the norm and not the exception, but oftentimes we see everybody, you know, square peg, round hole kind of thing. And it's like, you know, you keep trying to mash that in. Yeah, it'll eventually get in, but you're going to break everything around it. And exactly. It, it, no, you're, you're definitely. And, and actually what you just said there, 
that's what I, when I'm speaking to veterans groups on career transition and like college students, MBA students, that's exactly what I tell them, what you just said. You need to understand your strengths at a very rich, deep level. What are your true gifts and talents? And, and some of them are undeveloped. Many of them won't be developed yet, but if you know you have this capability, it can be developed. Secondly, what do you love? And that's what we measure in our drivers. What, what are you intrinsically drawn to? What excites you, makes you happy, energizes you, um, makes you feel fulfilled versus those things that deplete you or annoy you? You don't wanna be working in an area. Um, obviously that, that you find dissatisfying or uncomfortable. And then I tell them too, thirdly, if you're doing that, like you just said, uh, Michael, that if you're working to your strengths and, and what you love and enjoy, then your risks aren't gonna show that much because you're not stressed out, you're calm, you're happy, you're working from a, a really positive place. So, um, you know, but there are people like veterans, we do some philanthropic work with veterans. And what we found is that 55% of them have low, uh, career focus. It's one of our subscales. What that means is they're ambivalent about their careers. They don't know what they want to be when they grow up. This stays with them, you know, throughout their life. So they go into the military often because they don't know what they want to be. Problem is when they come out, they don't know what they want to be. So if you can really get a good glimpse of what your real strengths and what you enjoy, that helps you find the right career uh, direction for yourself. I love the fact that you work with veterans groups that way because yeah, they, they serve their country for a long time and, and they learn different skills and techniques while they're serving. But oftentimes those activities, you know, aren't what they would do, you know, in civilian life. Some of it may be, but a lot of it, no. Uh, so right. they, they need to figure out, okay, you know, what do I always say? What do you want to do when you grow up? Now I'm, I'm, I'm still not going to grow up because it's overrated, but, um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I know I have to do I'm something. Yeah. No, grow, growing up now. I mean, no, no, no. Jimmy Buffett warned us about that. Don't do it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I won't. I, I promise I'm perpetually 12. So it helps. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, it's crucial. And I, and I think that, you know, helping figure, you know, helping people figure out where, you know, what they want to do, what they're good at, and, and having people take that time to do that deep focus and, and work uh, makes the world a difference, not just for them, but everything that they do. Because if you're working in a space that you're really good at, it has such a huge ripple effect on society, the organization you work for, everything. So I, I implore people to, to figure out what you're really good at and do it. Exactly. That's, that's it. And that will, that will so dramatically change those performance numbers we see. If we can really help people right fit themselves into their jobs, into their careers. Um, but, and I'm not, you know, pointing fingers. Obviously, people are just confused. They really don't know. And, and even the college experience and all doesn't really tell you that. You might be good at something, but then you may not like that work environment type of thing. But you have to find out. And I see, like, uh, over the years, I've seen college kids that are going in. Every college kid that I've ever coached as a favor to a parent or, you know, of a client or colleague, every one of them was going in the wrong major. Every one of them. And mostly, they, under, they undervalued what the real potential was. Like, there'll be many of them that have engineering capability and everything else, and they'll be in some communications major or business major. And I, you know, of course, I work with them to say, oh, no. <laughs> If you, you have this great technical capability, go after that first and you can always get your MBA or a master's in something else. But learning those analytical problem solving skills as an engineer, I think is so critical. And especially for women, you know, uh, too, but men as well. 
I'll completely agree on that for sure. So Nancy, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work you're doing? Yes. Uh, our website is cdrassessmentgroup.com. Uh, and also on LinkedIn, you know, Nancy Parsons, I'm happy to link with people. I, and I have a lot of blog articles I write regularly, and I've got a lot going back that talk about a lot of these risks and everything that are all free. So they're welcome to either on our website or through LinkedIn access those, access those. Uh, and, and I also have a website to come and speak. It's nancyparsonspeaks.com. So awesome. I go out. All right. Thank you. Awesome. I'll have all that in the show notes. And Nancy, thank you again so much for your time today. Really appreciate you and all this work you're doing. Well, thank you, Michael. It was great to talk with you. Likewise. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get as a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.